This is a Business Disability Forum podcast, sponsored by Open Inclusion, creating a more open world for everyone, from user insight to inclusive innovation. So here we are for our podcast series, uh, Who Are We? The, the person behind the job title, and today I am joined by Caroline Eglinton, the Senior Business Change Manager at Network Rail. Hello Caroline. Hello Lucy, thank you. <laughs> yeah, very good, thank you. Slightly warm, it's nice, but it's, it's quite warm in here. Um, so... We're talking about sort of the person and the job title. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is you do and how you ended up in this particular role? Sure. Well, my job title is Senior Business Change Manager. Um, and I often ask myself what that actually means because <laughs> um, it can mean quite a, a few things. But basically what I focus on is the implementation and the stakeholder elements of pro- projects and programmes at Network Rail. It's the company that I work for. And Network Rail manages the railway infrastructure in the UK. So I've worked for Network Rail for 12 years and I initially started off in quite a junior position in the company, sort of fell into project management. And that initially was construction and design project management. And then I started, so the stakeholder side of things is what I really enjoyed and, um, and, and was strong at. And so I sort of moved into the business change side of things, which is, as I said, sort of focused on the stakeholder elements. And I've done that for the last um, probably about seven years now, and it's it's I love working at Network Rail, and I and I totally love the the type of work that I do as well. So, so what is it you like most about what it is you do at Network Rail? Um, Talked about stakeholders, but absolutely. is that because of the interactions or um, the... the the great things about working at Network Rail are basically the people. So the teams that I work with, the team that I'm part of, but also the team that we are that we are sort of imposing change upon to, to try and get their um, feedback on how that change is going and whether they're able to adapt or if there are any barriers. But one of the things at Network Rail that I really love um, about the stakeholder and people parts is the involvement in the CANDU network. So CANDU is Network Rail's um, disabled employee network and it's been around for about four years now and that is one of the, the bits of my role, I suppose, that I'm most passionate about. So I'm in the leadership team for CANDU, and it's all about raising awareness of what disability is and, and encouraging people to be disability confident at work, supporting advice around getting the right reasonable adjustments and so forth. So that's, that's a bit that I'm really passionate about and absolutely love, and I do that alongside my sort of day job as being a senior business change manager. So you're obviously here for a reason today at Business Disability Forum. So yes. let's let's just dive straight in there. Okay. I'm going to just be very very brief. So you, yeah. you've you've talked about you're part of the network, mm-hmm. your day job. There's obviously a personal story that goes there alongside is. this, uh, isn't uh, there? Uh, yeah, there is. So I have um, cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic condition. There's about ten thousand people in the UK that have cystic fibrosis, and sixty one percent of adults with cystic fibrosis are either studying full-time or there in employment and I'm one of those people and I guess it's been an interesting journey for me growing up with cystic fibrosis um, it's a genetic condition so it's more likely that your siblings are going to have in this condition too so myself and my brother my brother was two years younger than me grew up with CF in the family we both had CF but the interesting sort of part of that is that my mum didn't like anyone outside of the immediate family to know about this. So I guess until I was about seven, I didn't realise that there was anything different about me and my taking medication and my treatment than, than other children because my brother and I both were going through this. So I just yeah. thought that 
having physio, taking medication, going to the hospital, all those types of things were, I thought, well, I wasn't quite aware that it didn't happen to other children. I thought it was just a, a part of um, everyday life, I suppose. And then as I got a bit older, I did start to notice that I was a little bit different because my mum would say, and you're not allowed to make sure you don't eat anything when you're at your friend's house. You're, um, you know, their mum might offer you some food, but remember not to take it because you need to take your enzymes when you eat. And probably now you would manage that differently, but at the time my mum didn't want anyone to know that I had CF or my brother. And so it was easier just to say, don't, don't eat any of the snacks if you're offered crisps or you're offered biscuits or anything, don't take them because you, you don't want anyone to see you taking your enzymes with them. But I was, I was still young and it was sort of trying to manage that, I suppose. Yeah. And so I didn't really see myself as disabled and I definitely didn't tell anybody about my CF because that was sort of encouraged by mum, you know, don't let anyone know, they might. I think it was mainly through fear. I would, I would love to speak to her about it and find out really the reason, but um, I think she was scared that people would treat me differently or that that people would talk about us somehow, that, you know, we're the special needs kids, and in inverted commas, you yeah. know, the ones that have got, you know, a, a condition, a health condition. Yeah. It's the stigma, wasn't it? I mean, things weren't spoken so. about so openly. Um, I, I'm 37, so this was the sort of early 80s, and yeah. I think there was, I think in especially sort of smaller towns where everyone knows each other. People are kind of, their identities are fixed by something that some that everyone knows about them and I think my mum was trying to avoid that happening to us. Didn't want that label yeah. attached to the family and I can understand that. I think mm. that, you know, you want you want your children to be treated as everyone yeah. else, don't yeah. you? So it's... The, the only thing was, Lucy, that, that kind of caused a bit of havoc later on. So if, you, um, if you're going to school and you don't tell anyone that you've got a health condition and you're managing that and you're trying to take medication and you're or you're not feeling great or you've got time off for hospital appointments and people ask questions and you can't answer them honestly then it stops it starts this kind of secrecy pattern that mm. isn't really good for you that was manageable at school i didn't actually tell any of my friends at school that i had cystic fibrosis it was manageable at um, university as well so uni is quite sort of flexible in the way that you approach it it's you're not there nine to five every single day, so you can work around it, and that flexibility means that you you've got more opportunity to hide something if you if you need to or you want to. So um, I got away with it at university as well, I would say. And then when I went into the workplace, this is when it starts becoming a challenge because the first job that I had when I left university, I stayed with that company for five years. It was actually a local authority, but I didn't tell anybody I had CF. I didn't even write in the medical declaration forms that I had CF because I thought that it might put people off employing me. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't tell anybody any of the details. But then, you know, I got fed up with that job and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of opportunities to go on. So I thought, right, I'm going to start looking for new opportunities. And then um, I'd heard that Network Hill was a really good company to work for. Applied for some jobs with them. And I thought, well, when I'm filling out this medical I think it was a, just an inquiry form was, you know, to find out if you had any medical conditions that yeah. they needed to know about as part of the pre-employment checks or whatever. And I thought, do you know what, I'm going to be brave this time. I'm going to put down that I've got cystic fibrosis and I also put down that I'd had some depression because I thought, I don't want to get in trouble um, if, um, yeah. if I'm going to be staying with this company for a long time, which is what I had a feeling that that was going to be the case. 
I thought, better to be honest and uh, we'll see what comes of it. But that was quite a brave decision for you at that point, considering what you'd been told by yes. your family all these years. Yep. And then all of a sudden, that, that feels like quite a change. It was a step and it was because of um, something that had happened in the, the employment that I'd been in before. So I had been off for sort of three close absences and I'd been sort of hauled over the coals for it. And, they'd, and I'd told them about cystic fibrosis at that time. And the reaction to that wasn't great. They felt that I had withheld it from them. And I didn't like that reaction. And I thought, do you know what, I'll do this differently next time. So that I guess that was the, the prompt to do it differently that time. Mm. But then even so, even though I'd written it in the pre-employment form, I still didn't share it widely around the team or to, to anybody that I was really working with. And people with CF have got a tendency to have quite a cough sometimes and so you'd get some comments from people saying oh she's got a really bad flu or cold she shouldn't be at work but actually I really sometimes I wanted to retaliate and say listen it's a it's a lung condition I'm gonna have a nasty cough sometimes but um I wasn't brave enough at that time I was 25 yeah and um still still didn't have that bravery there I guess the bravery came later on when I really started to share about the fact that I had CF and and that came around because my brother, who was two years younger than me, he he was a really intelligent guy. He'd gone to university as well. He had a, a job in um, computer programming. Mm-hmm. And, and he was the same. He didn't tell his employers that he had CF. And um, he managed it the best that he could. And he was quite well in the sort of grand scheme of things, the same as me, you know, yeah. able to go to work and be employed and things. Um, but didn't have any reasonable adjustments either and and then one week he became sort of unwell went into hospital had a massive hemorrhage and um, and died within a week and I think what I thought to myself is people that have got that are disabled by health conditions or impairments you, there really is no benefit in struggling through because his employer might have been quite happy to make adjustments for him but he didn't feel that he could and so so actually did he pay enough attention to his own body and go to the, go to the hospital when he needed to perhaps not maybe he maybe he could have attended his regular hospital appointments even more often if he'd known he was feeling a bit rubbish leading up to this mm. but because he didn't have that he didn't have that trust with his employer it meant that he couldn't go to them and and ask for that and you just think oh what a waste it's, it doesn't benefit anyone really the employer would probably have been quite happy to make adjustments for him and you know he, he who knows where that could exactly. yeah and do you think that had a big impact obviously yeah. losing a sibling has a huge impact yes. especially if they've got the same condition as you because yeah. i think it was out of the blue was yeah. it? i think that had was it, it was it wasn't scary as in I, I thought you know I'm going to die tomorrow the same way that my brother has because CF is such a, it affects, it's a whole system, it affects everything in your body so it affects even siblings in in different ways Mm. and so you know there was no chance or a very slim chance that the same thing would happen to me and it would be all over like that Mm. but it did make me question choices in the life and it made me think about what really is important in life and so um, so I did make some changes, but it also made me realise that it's really important to recognise that that disability isn't just it's not it's not just a fixed. I think people have got a fixed idea of what disability is, 
um, and that it's all about um, blue badges and it's um, it's all about being registered disabled and inverted commas this you know there's there's some kind of rubber stamp that says that you're disabled mm-hmm. and actually I think I realised at that time that it's really important to get support from your employer but also raise awareness that disabled people are going about their life every day they might be concealing it or they might not be and I, I guess I don't know, I just got this passion in me that, that I needed to make a change at, at Network Rail because at Network Rail a lot of the experience was down to what your line manager kind of knew about disability so that was the whole part about getting involved in employee network. Mm. Yeah. So how does it affect you day to day now at Network Rail? What things maybe do you do differently or what adjustments? Because or? of my CF? Yeah. So um, cystic fibrosis, it's a fluctuating condition. So from week to week, even from day to day, the difference can be um, quite wide ranging. So Network Rail are really great with me. I have a, <clears throat> a list of reasonable adjustments that I can sort of pick and choose from as and when I need them. So sometimes I might need none of those adjustments and some of them, some of the time I might be using, you know, maybe three or four of them. So. Examples of that would be like a flexible start and end time, mm. flexibility to work from home if I need to at quite short notice. One of the things about um, cystic fibrosis is that you can feel unwell at times, and so I probably don't get the same opportunity to rest and recuperate at the weekend that everybody else does. So if, if you know you've had a hard week at work, and then you you go home for the weekend, and you know you're not feeling great, so you you get, you don't get that space to recuperate the same way that everyone else does at the, I guess, the break of the weekend. So Network Rail is really good. It gives me the opportunity to take more unpaid leave so that if, if I'm still feeling rotten or I feel like I didn't get a good rest at the weekend, I can take an extra day's leave. And that's, it's, I, most of the stuff is around flexibility and that is what really works well for me. Mm. And I guess for you, it's a bit about listening to what your body's telling you and Absolutely. what you need to do and, and as you... The more you know yourself and yeah. you know what works and you try and test these things, you can Absolutely. kind of see how it's going to go. I think with a fluctuating condition, it's quite important to to recognise that that people might be going through, it's almost like a bell curve of how well you're feeling at a certain mm. time. So because I've often had managers say, you know, if you're not well, you need to be off work. But actually, I think it's about recognising that sometimes you're, you will be a little bit below par, but you might not be unwell enough to be off work. Yeah. But it's about just controlling that and perhaps stopping it getting any worse, taking a rest when you need to. Mm. But also understanding that you might want to come back to work when you are still... Is that a fluctuating element? Mm. You know, what's well to me or what is different from someone that doesn't have any health conditions? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm used to my body working at a sort of lower capacity, lung function-wise or pain-wise than, than other people's, so... My ability to be in work is different from what other people might think. <laughs> and I think it's interesting when you're a younger person. Let's count ourselves as young. I might be slightly <laughs> over 40, but we'll still say younger. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because I was 17 when I had my accident. So I think, for me, it's kind of like, actually, I might not do what my peers are doing. Absolutely. But actually, I'm still quite capable of doing things. I might just do them a bit slower. Or I, I, it's just going to be at a slightly different pace or in my own way. Yeah. And I think that brings its own challenges, I think. Whether it's whether you're born with it or whether you've yeah. gained a disability yes. or an impairment. So I think it's an interesting yeah. one, isn't it? You and, can't... And, and actually, CF is kind of similar because 
you know, um, it's a progressive condition. So the fact that, you know, uh, my lung function is worse now than I was when I was a child. So it's, it's sort of similar element is that I'm gaining challenges as I get older and the, the progressive nature of it, you know, it's not going to get better, but mm. it's, um, it's meeting, it's, it's each time you come to a step where things change for you and that can be, you know, having CF-related diabetes or um, having CF-related arthritis and, 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 and those are challenges that come up because of your CF that you've not experienced before, so it's, it's, it's finding a way to deal with those and work around them, I suppose. So it's, it's similar in the fact that yeah. you might be born with something, but actually it progresses and changes as you And we all keep acquiring more disabilities. I'm finding I'm getting lower back pain, <laughs> yep. I've got asthma. I mean, yeah, it, you could, the list could just go on, couldn't it? And who knows what we'll be doing by the time we're 60. Yeah. Have all sorts. <laughs> so if I could ask you just to think about how you would describe yourself in, in a few words, what, what would you say? How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? I mean, I mean, I guess if you'd be wanting like the, the, the sort of CV version, you know, like yeah, or no, no, I, I want the real, the honest, the yeah, honest version. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier because you had given me sight of that question, and I think that how I would describe myself, and sometimes I do introduce myself this way on emails if I've met somebody just once, and I'm emailing them to say, you know, do you remember me? I'll often say um, the the bossy Scottish lady or the, the noisy Scottish lady, because I feel like I'm quite loud and I'm quite talkative and I do interact with people. So I think they remember me for that. And that's, that's probably how I describe myself a lot, a lot of the time. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's just very real. I yeah. quite like that. That's fantastic. So you didn't, you talked about being Scottish. Obviously, that yeah. is a huge part of your identity. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we can all hear that. <clears throat> you didn't use the term disabled or impaired or yeah. anything. Any particular reason? I mean, that's obviously been a, a huge part of your life in so many ways, but that's yes. not how you identify. I think, I think, having cystic fibrosis is a massive part of it's it's a, a massive part of who I am, and it's made me who I am. But it's not my identity as a whole. Um, there's so many facets to identity, and so I didn't also tell you that I'm a wife or a daughter or you know, the colour of my eyes. It's, it's, it's something that happens to be a part of me, but it's not... I think because it's hidden as well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say to someone, oh, remember, I'm, I'm the girl that's got CF, because it's, it, I guess it's not, it's not, not as noticeable, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. And actually, do you know, because obviously this is a podcast, so people will be listening to this, it's one of those things I think it's just useful to share that actually by looking at you, you wouldn't know that you had... Yes. I can say anything wrong with you. That's yeah, really yeah. such the wrong term. But, you know, you wouldn't know yeah. that you had CF at all. And mm-hmm. I think this is probably, I'm guessing this is you on a reasonably good day. Yeah. Um, are we going up? Are we going down? Or are we... You know what? We're, we're, we're going up good. at the moment. So, yes, it's all, it's all really good. Um, yeah. But, like, like I said, that fluctuates. So part of the, the, the bit about CF that's quite acute is the, 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 the most of us, but including me, we don't have the ability to digest fats the same way that other people do so I have to eat about double the amount of calories as everyone else which sounds like a really enjoyable thing to do but it can be a pain at times but also the fact that I don't digest my food the same way so it's a bit like um, the, the sort of symptoms of that would be a bit like severe IBS and that's the stuff that really impacts upon me at work so I might have really bad days where I'm in the toilet for you know yeah. half an hour four times in that one day 
and that's that's the bits that really sort of that's when you feel more disabled I suppose when, mm-hmm. you're, when you're feeling the the ability to not control things that you're used to um, I think the, the elements of having legit, reduced lung function that's quite controllable because that's a steady state thing and as you say you just get used to doing a little bit less walking a little bit slower mm. taking the lift jumping on a bus rather than walking somewhere but actually the acute sort of nature of arthritis or the digestive side of things that's kind of the bit that impacts me more so yeah so how do you think I mean actually I think we've kind of already touched on this I think probably it sounds like because your CF is progressing and changing over time your mm-hmm. how you identify and how you associate with it has just changed dramatically for you and especially yeah. talking about your earlier years with your mum and at school and how yeah. you're talking so looking back is there anything that you would tell your younger self now? So looking back, maybe even at a couple of points in your life, yeah. what would you tell the younger Caroline? I guess, I don't know whether I would go back and say, you know, tell everyone about your health condition because perhaps that would have been too much of a jump because you can't change what happened earlier in your life. But if I went back to my, Perhaps my 18-year-old self just setting off at university, I might say, you know, go and get some adjustments. You don't need to tell everyone um, all your business, but, you know, make sure that you're not struggling through things when you're, when you're feeling more unwell or, you're, or you're have, you're, you've got a barrier to something. Make sure that you can try and get it fixed because I didn't realise um, the types of things that I could have asked for that would have made a big difference. I mean, perhaps I would have... Perhaps I would be have the, you know been more successful. I guess it's about how much have you held yourself back by mm. trying to conceal and use the energy of it takes um, a lot of effort. I think absolutely. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and then for that, I guess perhaps be an advocate for disability earlier in life. My father had motor neuron disease for five years, and I think that really. That really highlighted to me that the access challenges that people have in their everyday lives. But really, I should have been on it. I should have known about disability before that, you know, having a health condition myself. I should have realised the barriers that are out there. But I think that it took a complex set of things to happen in a certain order for me to actually sort of crack on to the fact that we can ask for adjustments and you don't... It's... It's not going to make your life worse. It's only going to make your life better, I suppose. Mm. And that if you have people that are judgmental about the fact that you've got a health condition and they do think less of you, or they, then you know, they are not the people that you want to be dealing with in life. Yeah. You know, they're losses, isn't you, it? Exactly. There's there are there are there are great. I think there are great people in the world that do understand. Um, and so I would probably go back and say, just be a bit more open and. You know, I probably came across quite strange when I was younger um, and in my early 20s and stuff because, like you said, I was doing things in different ways to, to get around the fact that I couldn't do them the way that everyone else did. And so that probably came across quite strange because mm-hmm. there was no explanation for yeah. why I would do things in certain ways. So I guess just trust people and, um, and be brave. Yeah. That's fantastic. Caroline, thank you so much for sharing such a personal story at times. I think we, I think you're right, it's absolutely so important to get that story out there to tell people about it, but we really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. It's so been a pleasure, Lucy. Thank you so much. This podcast series is sponsored by Open Inclusion. 
helping business be beautiful, inclusive and effective. Find out more at openinclusion.com.